0: Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. You have your Bibles, turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, we are in this series called The right choice, the choice is right, making good decisions. As you're turning to Proverbs, uh, I came across this this week. I thought this was interesting. Some of you follow college football. Some of you watch uh, College Game Day. Um, So I, I think this would be kind of fun. Lee Corso, Lee Corso from College Game Day. He was recently in Starkville, Mississippi for a Mississippi State football game when he noticed a special phone near the Bulldogs bench. He asked the head coach what it was used for, and was told that it was a direct hotline to God. So Lee asked if he could use it, and the coach replied, well, sure, but it's going to cost you $200. Lee scratched his head, but he thought, you know, I could really use some help in picking these games. So he pulled out his wallet, and he paid $200. Of course, that week, every pick that Lee made was spot on. Well, the following week, Corso went to Tuscaloosa, me you know, even Tuscaloosa, they, they need missionaries, so they need help in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, so he's in Tuscaloosa when he noticed the same phone on the Bama bench. He asked what the phone was for, and Nick Saban told him, it's a direct hotline to God. If you want to use it, it'll cost you $500. Well, recalling the previous week, Lee immediately pulled out his wallet and he made the call again, and all of Lee's picks for that week were perfect. Well, finally, Corso made it to Baton Rouge. And he noticed the same phone by the LSU bench. And he asked Coach O, he said, is that a hotline to God? And Coach O replied, yes. (laughs) One team, one heartbeat. Uh, Lee says, well, how much will it cost me if I want to use it? Well, Coach O said, it's free. And Lee's like, wait a second. I paid $200 in Starkville, Mississippi. I paid $500 to use it in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Why doesn't LSU charge anything? And Coach O replied because in Baton Rouge, it's a local call. Welcome to God's country. (laughs) Come on, operator, pull me on through. Oh, last week we kicked off this series, Making Right Choices, The the, the Choice is Right, and we talked about where's your squad, and I do want to celebrate, many of you stepped out to say, you know what, I'm going to host a small group. Over 200 people said, I want to engage in community, I want to... Partner with this series and, and uh, man, walk through the process and we 're just so excited about that, that spirit of family that seems to be spreading across every campus so if you if you still want to participate it 's not too late you can be a part of that today. the topic is and I want to give you this I want you to write this down somewhere today 's topic is the secret sauce of decision making the secret sauce of decision making. How many of you know that when you go to Cane's, they, yeah, some are like, oh man, Mike, you speak of my love language right now. They got some Cane sauce, all right? How many appreciate the sauce at Cane's? Something special about that sauce. And you know it's mayonnaise and ketchup, but it's got something else in there. There's some secret ingredients to that sauce that will change your life. Come on, help me preach. The secret. I thought about Brother Wayne. I know he makes pralines, and those pralines are, it's revival. You eat pralines, it's a move of God in your mouth. Now, he's not going to tell you how he makes those pralines. There's some secret ingredient that he won't quite release. Uh, Some of you have some secret family recipes. How many of you have some family recipes that have been passed down from generations? Okay. I was talking to a guy this week, he said, when he was engaged to be married, his grandma, he come from an Italian family, he was engaged and he asked his grandmother, hey, can you give us the recipe for, I don't know if it was you know spaghetti and meatballs, but she refused to give him the recipe until he got married and his wife's last name became part of the family. Family recipes, there's, there's some secret ingredients, you know, today... I want to give you the secret sauce when it comes to making good choices. Have you ever looked at somebody and wondered, man, why are they always so happy? Or why is their marriage always blessed? Or why are their kids always acting right? Come on, anybody? Why is their business prosperous, or their money always seems to grow, or why does this person seem to have favor everywhere he goes? Well, I think there's a key component, and there's an ingredient that the Bible gives us—the secret sauce of making right choices—and we can find it in Proverbs chapter nine, verse ten. The Bible says this: Proverbs nine ten. I'm going to give you the family recipe today. Are you ready? Proverbs nine ten. The Bible says, "Fear of the Lord." is the foundation of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Can we read that verse one more time? Fear of the Lord. Somebody say the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the foundation. It's the very core value of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment judgment. That's an important verse, okay? I want you to jot that down. We're going to refer back to that. This verse really presents three questions. It presents what is the fear of the Lord? uh, Where does it begin? And what does it produce in my life? You see, I'm convinced that the secret sauce to making right choices starts with the fear of God. Number one, what is it? What is the fear of the Lord? Do you know this phrase, the fear of the Lord, is found 18 times in the book of Proverbs? Last week we said that Proverbs was the, the wisdom book if you're going to make choices if you're going to make decisions guided by wisdom you're going to find a lot of what you need in the book of proverbs and time and time again proverbs refers to the fear of the lord now i know you've probably heard this at some point in your life or or maybe you haven't but i I do think that this deserves some clarification because there is somewhat confusion when we talk about the fear of the lord first of all let me tell you what it's not Okay? Maybe the, the best way to start in defining the fear of the Lord is to pinpoint what it's not. First of all, the fear of the Lord is not religious intimidation. Okay? It's not some sort of bondage or some sort of oppression. The fear of the Lord is not based on guilt. Okay? How many of you know God is not a bully? Can I have a better amen? And and, and, and we gotta be careful. And I want you to know that as your pastor, I'm not this angry preacher that wants to use the Bible as some baseball bat to beat you down. How many of you know that people are condemned by life itself? There's so much guilt and condemnation and bullying in the world, okay? So I'm not some angry preacher going to get all red in the face for the next 25 minutes and bless God, if I can just preach all angry at you, then I'll make you afraid. The fear of the Lord is not based on oppression, guilt, or religious intimidation. But I want you to know this. The fear of the Lord is beautiful. The fear of the Lord is life-giving. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the source of all wisdom and happiness. Let me give you this picture, okay? Electricity. How many of you appreciate electricity? How many of you love the fact that you can walk into a dark room and flip on a switch and let there be light? Yeah, electricity does some powerful things. It turns darkness into light. How many of you are thankful for air conditioning? Oh, sweet Jesus. Look, I talked to a lady last week. She said, Pastor, it's so hot. It's hot enough. It makes me want to live right. <laughs> yeah, I'm thankful for air conditioning. I'm, I'm thankful for the internet. I'm thankful for lights. You know, listen to me. I'm not afraid of electricity, but I respect its power. How many of you know that if you're careless when it comes to electricity It's dangerous. You don't want to get nonchalant and and just kind of halfway around electricity. Now, I'm not afraid of electricity, but I respect the power of it, okay? That's that's kind of a picture here. Here's the best definition I can give you of the fear of the Lord. The Bible refers to the fear of the Lord as a reverence, a deep respect, or an awe of God. It's to treat him as holy and to honor him above all else. It's having a profound wow of who God is and what he does. the, The fear of the Lord is a wow of God. Let me ask you this. How many times have you said wow recently? When was the last time you looked at a sunset and you said wow? When was the last time you ate a good meal and you said, wow? When was the last time you looked at your spouse and said, wow? Come on. When was the last time you opened up the word of God and you said, wow? You see, I I think there's a little concern that I have when we lose our wow. You know, familiarity is a dangerous thing. You know, when you become so familiar with something, you treat it differently, do you not? Come on, nod your head if you're with me today. Are you guys into this? Could you please inform your face that you're into this? Okay, listen, watch how this works. I thought about, you know, how we lose, how easy it is to lose our wow. I remember when I first got my car, it was brand, first time I ever owned a brand new car. Eleven years ago, my, with the help of my in-laws, I got me a brand new Honda Accord. Whoo. Oh, yes, me and Jesus, we're all in one accord, baby. I mean, I'd go to Walmart, and I'd park that car, I mean, in the back 40, right? I mean, I don't care to walk. You know, look, it's all right. I'll walk however long I need to, but I need about three or four empty parking spaces around me to protect my ride. Come on, are you with me? That's my Honda. That's my baby. She's taking good care of me. Now, fast forward to the present. The car is 11 years old. She's got over 170,000 miles on her. The dirt is holding it together, I promise you. If, if I clean the car, it's falling apart, I'm left with nothing but a steering wheel. Best thing about her, she's paid for. Come on, talk to me. She's been good to me for 11 years. Guess what? The air conditioning went out yesterday. Y'all pray for me. I'm riding with my windows down, 55 miles an hour, trying to get a breeze. Trevor can't even catch his breath. Dad, I can't breathe. I'm like, shh, it's okay. It's okay, baby. Honda, it's okay. He didn't mean to disrespect you like that. When I pull up at Walmart now, I'm not looking for spaces in the back of the parking lot. I'm thinking, you know what? I think I can squeeze in that little spot right there. Why? I got some, some scratches, I got some, some things, it's just character, you know, it's, I treat her a little differently because I've had her for a while, are you with me? Sometimes we treat relationships the same way. Dating brings out the best of you, but marriage brings out the rest of you. I had a guy tell me one time, they were doing some, some counseling because they'd been married for a long time, started having some problems they came in. And so he said, well, pastor, she, she was upset, didn't feel the love in the relationship anymore. He doesn't treat me the way he used to. The guy said, well, pastor, when we got married, I told her I loved her. And if I would change my mind, I'd let her know. Sometimes in a marriage, you get so familiar, you're not opening doors like you used to. All right? You can lose something over time because you're so familiar. When's the last time you walked in church and you said, wow, oh, man, the presence of God. I love God. Lord, I love what you do in this place. Sometimes if we're not careful, we become so familiar with church. It's like, well, worship didn't do anything for me today. Right? They didn't sing my favorite song. (laughs) Pastor Mike wasn't as funny as he normally is. (laughs) And you lose your wow. See, watch this. If we're not careful, we can treat God. Watch how this works. Just because we have access to God doesn't mean we shouldn't be in awe of God. How many of you learned the fear of God through your daddy? Now, I know I'm fixing to go old school a little bit. Please don't send me any, any emails, all right? I'm not about beating kids. I'm not about that. But my dad, how many of you, you had a healthy respect for your father? Yes. Yeah, my mama now, I remember we couldn't play in the alley behind the trailers. I grew up in a trailer park, okay? Thirteen years. You can take the boy out of the trailer, but you can't take the trailer out the boy. Mama had a rule. Don't go play in the alley behind the trailer park. So where did we end up playing? in the alley behind the trailers. Mama came around the corner one day. She had that rolling pin and had her apron on, marched us all back in the trailer, and she'd whip us with a fly swatter. You ever been beat with a fly swatter? She bent me and my sisters, all three of us, over the couch, and she just And like a typewriter, when she reached the end, ching, backhand and she beat us with a fly swatter. And listen, have y'all ever got the giggles at the worst time? <laughs> oh yeah, mom was beating us with a fly swatter. I looked at my sister's, I was like <laughs> We start laughing, and mama said, do you want me to tell your father when he gets home? How I many you know that was a game changer? <laughs> oh mama, it hurts. Oh. Because I can still hear my daddy's belt coming through those loops. and he just roped that belt on the top of my bedroom door as a little warning boy you better act right now listen i knew my dad loved me but i had a healthy respect i had a reverence for my father Hear me, church, God, we we sing about being a friend of God, and I want you to know that is important. There is a relationship we can have with our Heavenly Father, but that relationship always requires respect. Can I have a better amen? You see, the fear of the Lord is about having a reverence and a respect for who He is and what He's done. I'm a little concerned with the nonchalance that we carry in today's culture. Jesus is not your homeboy. All right, are you with me? And God is more than the big man upstairs. Are you with me? We've got, to, we've got to recapture the respect and reverence for who God is. Now, as an unbeliever, we are drawn by the love of God. But when we become sons and daughters of God, we must learn the value of respecting him. First John 4:18 The Bible says such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid it's for fear of punishment and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. The truth is this, when you've experienced the perfect love of Father, you don't have to be afraid of punishment because Jesus took all of our punishment upon himself when he died on the cross. And our response out of that place of perfect love is we don't have natural fear, but we have a supernatural reverence and an awe, a wow, and a respect for God. Does that make sense? That's the fear of the Lord. Number two, how does it make me wise? If the, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, how does that fear, that reverence, that respect for God translate into wisdom? Look at First Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible tells us that Solomon is the brand new king of Israel. His father David had passed away, and the glory of the kingdom then was passed to his son Solomon. Solomon was young. He was inexperienced. The Bible says Solomon had a dream, and in this dream, the Lord came to him and said, Solomon, what do you want? How many of you would love to have a dream like that? You ever have a dream And it was so good. And you wake up, and you're disappointed with reality. And so you try to hurry up and go back to sleep to get back into that dream. Ever done that before? Oh, man. Solomon has this dream, and God shows up and says, Solomon, what do you want? Ask me, and I'll give you anything. It's kind of like a blank check, you know? Let me ask you this. If God said, ask me for whatever you want, what would you ask for? Ooh. Some of you could fill in those blanks real fast. You can't ask for more wishes either. It's not that one. But Solomon, watch what his response was. And this is amazing. In 1 Kings 3, verse 7, Solomon says, Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. But I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they can't even be counted. Lord, here's what I'm asking for, verse nine. Give me an understanding heart. One translation says, God, give me wisdom so that I can govern your people well, so that I can know the difference between what's right and what's wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Isn't that a powerful request? He says, Lord, give me wisdom because I'm in over my head. How many of you ever know what that feels like? Some of you are in over your head right now. You know what leadership is? Leadership is the ability to hide panic. <laughs> you ever been smiling on the outside, but on the inside, you're like, oh, dear God, oh, dear God, oh, dear God. Show up to the meeting. You got to make the presentation. You know, man, it, it's a big day. I'm going to tell you this. God will always call you into opportunities that are bigger than you are. Now they're not bigger than him, but they're gonna be bigger than you. And here's why he does this. So we will be desperate and dependent upon him. Notice what Solomon says here. He says, oh, I'm just not enough. In my own strength, I am not enough. Now, now here's the process of wisdom, okay? I want you to see this picture. It's gonna create not just some notes, but a little graphic I wanna show this to you. This is the process of wisdom. It starts with humility. Everybody say humility. Solomon says, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes. Can anybody identify with that? Two companions that follow me everywhere I go, overwhelmed and underqualified. They seem to follow me to work. They follow me in my day-to-day. They follow me in my responsibility. Overwhelmed and underqualified. I feel like I'm in over my head, and so I'm saying, God, I'm not enough. There's, it starts with humility but that humility then rolls over to dependence. It's a dependent spirit that says, Lord, I'm not enough, but I know that you are. Uh, I may feel inadequate, but God, your grace is sufficient. Come on, can I have a good amen? It's okay to feel not enough, that's reality. Humility leads to dependence. When you depend on God, then you recognize, Lord, you're able. I can't, but you can. I'm not enough, but you are more than enough. I may be weak, but God, your strength is made perfect in my weakness. Come on, can somebody help me this morning? You see, it starts with humility. It rolls over to dependence. And then out of that dependence, there's this thing called pursuit, You say, Lord, would you give me wisdom? God, give me wisdom. Give me supernatural insight and understanding. Father, give me revelation. I think that's a good prayer to pray because there are some things that you'll never see in the natural. It takes a spiritual revelation to discern. It starts with humility. It grows in dependence. Then from that place of dependence, we are pursuing God. Lord, I need you. Listen, when you realize how much you need God, you'll judge and criticize other people less. You won't fixate on other people's mistakes and problems, come on now, because you're staying in your lane, and you're thinking, God, I need you at work. Lord, I need you at school. I need you in this five o'clock traffic. Come on, I need you raising these children. Lord, I need you when it comes to paying my bills. I don't have time to criticize you. God's got a whole lot in front of me, and I'm just trying to keep my eyes on him. You see, it starts with humility. It it goes through dependence. Out of that place of dependence, we are pursuing God. And when you ask for wisdom, you know what the Bible says he does? He grants you wisdom, and he's not stingy with it. Aren't you glad God's not rationing out wisdom because it's in short supply up in heaven? Well, you know what? He asked me for wisdom yesterday. I I gave him a double dose. Oh, Moses, how are we looking in the the, uh, warehouse of wisdom? Listen, God has more than enough. You ask him for wisdom, he gives it to you, and then guess what? Out of that pursuit comes the glory of God. Solomon had one of the glory, I mean, of all the kings of Israel. No kingdom was greater than Solomon's. He had wisdom. He had wealth. He had influence. Interesting how God said, ask me for anything. And and Solomon didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for prosperity. He didn't ask for fame or influence or even the lives of his enemies. He asked for wisdom. And guess what? When he asked for wisdom, God gave him wealth. God gave him prosperity. God gave him influence. God gave him victory over all of his enemies. Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Now, see this graphic, how humility is at 12 o'clock, dependence is at 3 o'clock, and, and then, then it's pursuit is at 6 o'clock. At 9 o'clock comes the glory of God. But look at how it cycles back around. When God shows up in glory, you know what that does? It humbles us. We don't take credit for it. We don't say, wow, look at what my hand has accomplished. We say, Lord, to God be the glory. When somebody celebrates you, don't take credit for something God has done. Guess what? If you try to take credit for his glory, oh, my goodness, that is a dumb, dumb, and double dumb idea. You're going to lose everything God's trying to grow and produce in you. Because he's the source of it, not you. It humbles ourselves. We, we, we see the goodness of God and his blessing, and we say, Lord, oh, you're so good. I humble myself before you. And then it leads to more dependence. It leads to more pursuit. It leads to greater glory. Are you with me? Oh, I love this. I, I, I love, you know, whenever we make a decision, we should never make big decisions without awareness of the presence of God And asking for his input. This is the secret sauce, okay? I'm telling you. This is what makes it all work. Doesn't mean that you're not going to make some mistakes and have some some moments, but any decision that you're making. It's like the guy that said, you know, I I saw that four-wheeler. I wanted to buy that four-wheeler. I didn't even pray about it. Sure wasn't going to talk to my wife about it. Why? Why wouldn't you talk to God about it? Why wouldn't you ask your wife about it? Because you're afraid of what they might say. Sometimes we don't pray about decisions because we kind of know what God would say about it. Come on. When 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 you jump into a relationship. Can I tell you this? If you marry the right one, there's nothing like it. Marry the wrong one, there's nothing like it. Are you with me? Who to spend life with? You've got to include the presence of God and awareness. Lord, what is your will? Who should I date? Who should I marry? Should I take this job? Okay, let me, let me stop right here and say this. And, and I'm, this is not directed toward anybody, but I think this is a, a principle that all of us should apply. Please, when it comes to consideration for jobs, please don't just chase the dollar. Because money promises what only God can supply. I've known people that have have taken jobs out of town. And it's like, okay. And it made sense financially, But spiritually, they never even considered, okay, what kind of church are we going to attend? Is there a place for my kids to to be involved in youth group? What about the spiritual development of my family? How many of you know that's an important consideration? And I'm not saying don't move out of town because there's a job that's offering more money. But in your consideration for your next step, you have to say, Lord, give me wisdom. Because the enemy will, will, will dangle dollars in front of you. And he'll show, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. He'll show you the starting line of your decisions, but he'll never show you the finish line of it. See, God knows the beginning from the end. And if we invite God into that, what college should I attend? What career should I pursue? What about my calling and my purpose? And you say, Mike, those are important decisions. What if I make a mistake? One of the most important things you'll hear me say in this message today is this. If your desire is to please Jesus. The will of God is too big to miss. The will of God is not some needle in a haystack, right? We got to give God more credit than that. He's the God that owns the cattle on a 1,000 hills. He's the God that spoke this world into existence. Oh, Mike, the, the will of God is such a mystery. No, it doesn't have to be. If your desire is to please the Lord, God's will for you is too big to miss. Some of you feel like you've made some wrong decision. You say, Mike, I've blown it. Can I tell you this? God can make miracles out of mistakes. Ooh, there's a whole, I need to just preach that one day. One Sunday, I'm going to talk about miracles out of mistakes. Some of you feel like you've made some some choices that are big mistakes, and you've suffered the consequences emotionally and spiritually, and you feel like the will of God is something you could never walk in. Let me tell you, God can give you a miracle even out of your mistakes. Don't believe me? Watch this, okay? Watch this. Abraham, how remember is old Abe? The father of our faith, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Come on, remember that song? Sons had right arm, left arm. Yeah, Father Abraham was a man of faith. But you know what he did? He got out ahead of God and made some mistakes. He couldn't have any kids, and so his wife came to him and says, Hey, Abe, I got a bright idea. Since I can't give you any kids, how about you sleep with my servant? Maybe she can give you a child, and we'll just consider that our own. Abraham's like, okay, if you insist. Now, I'm not making this up. Read your Bible. He got out ahead of God, and you know the problems that created. Instead of having Isaac, he had Ishmael. Nod your head if you know that story. He was impatient. He made a mistake. Now, he's still the father of our faith, but his lack of patience created an Ishmael. Wasn't God's plan. But guess what? God, watch this. If you fast forward to Abraham's great-grandson, there's a young man named Joseph. The Bible says Joseph's brothers were so jealous they wanted to kill him. But instead of killing him, they sold him as a slave to the Ishmaelites. Whoa, wait, the Ishmaelites? Wait a second. I thought that was Abraham's mistake. No, no, no. That was God using Abraham's mistake to bring Joseph down to Egypt. Come on now how was God going to get Joseph to Egypt? Well, Abraham made a mistake, and God took what was intended for evil, and he used it for good. Come on, somebody. (laughs) I I just want to run all over this stage, because that tells me that even in my mistakes, God can make a miracle out of it. If Romans eight isn't true, then take it out of the Bible, but your Bible says that, that, that God can make all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Woo! Even my mistakes. God, could you work it for my good? Joseph got down to Egypt. How did he get there? the Ishmaelites, and God used Joseph to save Jacob and all of his descendants, and one supernatural thing after another happened. How does this work in our life? Wisdom is the beginning. The fear of the Lord is what guides us in making right choices. Now, let me finish with this, and I'm running out of time. My, 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 ran out of time. Who'll give me five more minutes? Anybody give me five more minutes? Keep your hands up. Five more minutes. Five, 10, 15, 20, 20. Three hours! What time do the Saints play today? Okay, we got time. We got time. I'm going to ask the keys to come up. Finally, the last thing, and I can, I can rapid fire this one, and, and this is going to bless you. What are the benefits of the fear of the Lord? Okay, what are the benefits? And you, you probably can't write this fast enough, but I want to give you just a quick list. Here are the benefits. Okay, the, the secret sauce of making decisions. It starts with the fear of God. That's the beginning of wisdom. But watch what the fear of the Lord produces. First of all, it produces friendship with God. Psalm 25, 14, the Bible says, friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. Isn't that interesting? You want to be a friend of God? And we sing it. I am a friend of God. Mm, mm, mm. I am a friend. You can't be a friend of God if you don't have a fear of the Lord. Friendship with the Lord is reserved. There's a special reservation of friendship with God, and it's for those who fear him. And with them, God will share the secrets, the secrets, the secrets. Come on, the secret sauce. God's going to share the secrets of his covenant with you. Those who fear the Lord, the Bible says, they have fear of nothing. Check this out, Isaiah 8, verse 11. The Lord has said to me in the strongest of terms, do not think like everyone else does. Do not be afraid that some plan conceived behind closed doors will be the end of you. Do not fear anything except the Lord God Almighty, for he alone is the Holy One. If you fear him, you need fear nothing else. What you scared of? If you'll just have a fear of God, you don't have to be afraid of anything or anybody else. Come on, how you, you're just not going to be afraid of man. I'm not going to be afraid of man. Criticize me all you want to. Condemn me all you want to. Send me nasty emails all you want to. I'm not afraid of you. I got fear of God. The Bible says if you have a fear of the Lord, there's confidence. Proverbs 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence confidence, and his children will have refuge. Oh, my, my, my. The Bible says if you have fear of the Lord, you have a satisfied life. Proverbs nineteen twenty three: The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. The fear of the Lord produces all your needs being met. Psalm 34, verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Oh, that's good. Nothing missing. Uh, the, The fear of the Lord produces prosperity. Proverbs 22, 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is what? Riches and honor and life. Anybody want some of that? Only two people do. Okay. I'll just take yours then. Uh, there's purity. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 7.1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. And finally, the fear of the Lord produces fulfilled desires. Psalm 145.19. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Now look at that list. If you were to put all of that in a pill and sell it at the store, you couldn't keep that product on the shelf. I want these things in operation in my life. I want them in yours. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.